This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Delta Airlines. Delta, keep climbing. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On September 27th, the Washington Post held a series of live conversations about the economics of the aviation industry. Leaders in government and aviation discussed the rising cost of jet fuel, energy policy, what's next for aircraft and airports, and other innovations that will transform the way we travel. In this segment, industry leaders from Lockheed Martin Aeronautics, Aerospace Industries Association, and in-flight internet company GoGo explore how advances in technology, engineering, and other innovative tools are poised to change the aviation industry. Let's listen. Thanks for uh, sticking with us through to the final panel of the morning. Um, my name is Brian Fung. I'm a tech reporter and business reporter for the Washington Post. Um, joining me today, we've got a fantastic lineup of panel panelists here. Um, pleased to welcome John Clark, who's the vice president at Lockheed Martin Skunk Works, David Silver, uh, vice president of civil aviation at the Aerospace Industries Association, and John Wade, who's the president of commercial aviation at GoGo. Um, so I just wanted to start off uh, asking, just generally speaking, you know, what, what do we think the next you know, five to 10 years of, uh, of flight will look like um, from a technology perspective. And maybe, um, John, do you want to start off? Sure. So right now, there's some really interesting and exciting activities going on. I'll talk specifically within our Skunk Works uh, area, where uh, recently we were awarded an, an X-Plane Activity X-59, or the Low Bloom Flight Demonstrator. And what that activity is aiming to do is to go evaluate the, uh, the aspects of supersonic travel and understand how the sonic boom and what those, how, how to best attenuate it so the sound of a sonic boom sounds more like a door shutting as opposed to the big boom that uh, has traditionally been seen. So uh, what we'll get from that, uh, so we'll have a first flight of that activity in 2021. And from that, we're gonna gather a lot of data that's gonna allow us to inform uh, the regulatory agencies on how to uh, you know, approach supersonic flight in the future so that you know, maybe we can fly from Los Angeles to New York in three hours instead of uh, you know, the extensive time it takes today. Mm. David? Um, so, well, first of all, thanks for inviting us to be here today. We're thrilled. Um, I think the, you know, the way I like to phrase it is, is that we are on the cusp of one of the most exciting times in the avian, aviation industry in a long time. Uh, it's something akin to when we move from the turbo prop to the turbofan, right? Moving to the jet age, right? We're not quite right, brothers, uh, but we're, we're darn close. And between, I look at supersonic flight, I look at uh, unmanned aircraft, you're gonna see them uh, utilized more in remote locations uh, within the next five years, eventually uh, within city environments, and then also urban mobility, so the, the euphemistic air taxi. Uh, you're going to start to see those start to come in in the next five to ten years, initially probably with pilots. But, but post that, you're going to see those move towards autonomy. So it's an amazing time to be part of this industry, and we're going to make really large, large leaps very, very quickly. John. And from GoGo's perspective, clearly we're about uh, connectivity in aviation. And I think uh, the industry is very much used to the fact that Wi-Fi today has generally been slow and expensive. And the big change we're seeing now is that connectivity is becoming a lot faster, a lot affordable. 
So I think over the next few years, we're going to see the industry that was largely offline in the air becoming predominantly online in the air and all the things that go along with that. I wanted to come back to this uh, concept of supersonic um, travel and you know most consumers are probably uh, they remember the Concorde but they don't know much else about supersonic flight. Um, what has changed between then and now? Well so the big facet right now that you look at is it uh, so with the Concorde. The Concorde um, if you go back and look at the economics of the aircraft uh, was not terribly profitable because of the limited flights that were available. And so it was always over, over the ocean, and so you had a, uh, a limited set of passengers or consumers that you could uh, take advantage of. What our X-59 or the low-boom flight demonstrator activity working in concert with NASA, what that will allow us to do is to understand ways to attenuate that sonic boom and allow it open up a, a whole other set of, of uh, commercial flight pathways that will make it a much more economical and viable uh, opportunity for uh, you know supersonic business jets or things of that nature to now be more much more prevalent um, in the you know economy as opposed to you know what existed before with a, a flight from New York so it's to all Paris. about opening up new routes that could allow uh, airlines to, to make supersonic flight that, that is an better. enormous facet of it but obviously you've got to do it in such a way that allows um, the regulatory uh, agencies to be um, okay with the, the noise that's being made with the, uh, the, yeah. the new system. What are you hearing from regulators about that prospect? Um, well, first of all, uh, we're very supportive of the languages in the House bill mm -hmm. that uh, just was passed uh, yesterday, I believe. Um, and it is uh, focused on, on two sets of rulemaking. Number one is the overland uh, ban that's currently in place. And the second is uh, takeoff and landing of, mm -hmm. of those aircraft. And most importantly, it tells the FAA to take a, a smart, uh, paced uh, uh, methodology in terms of uh, moving forward in this in this area. So uh, the testing is going to inform us. Um, but from the regulators, there's two. There's more than just one regulator. Um, there's there's obviously the U.S. regulators, but we also have other countries get a vote too. And so making sure that ICAO, which is based in Montreal as a uh, the aviation arm of the UN, is is looking at standards and recommended practices SARPs. Uh, that will also allow us, as we move forward in this technology, to actually operate the aircraft. I think really the most important thing, the biggest thing that I can stress is, is there is a lot of interest within the United States uh, in this, on this technology. And we, what we don't want to do is move so slowly that we cede the opportunities uh, to other countries or nations. Mm -hmm. Uh, John, I wanted to ask you a bit about drones, and you know, obviously drones are uh, an emerging um, business sector, and I'm kind of curious if GoGo has any plans to, uh, to look into that at all. We actually don't. Um, we generally make money by people like you and I using internet service on board. I'm afraid there are not enough passengers on drones for <laughs> to be really profitable for us. Mm -hmm. So um, you're not looking into sort of the, the communications links between drones and pilots or drones and, uh, and businesses and, and so forth? We're not. We're really more focused on passenger and on the airplane yeah, itself. Um, David, what can you tell us about sort of the future of, uh, of drone technology and the efforts to build sort of a separate layer of airspace for, for drones um, in, you know, in, in commercial aviation? Right. Um, so there's, there's uh, UTM. Uh, unmanned traffic management is a program that the NASA has been working on for a number of years and has uh, coordinated a lot of their efforts with the FAA. And it's primarily focused on 500 feet and below. 
Uh, so there has been a tremendous amount of work in trying to figure out how this how the system is going to operate, communications uh, between the vehicles and the, and, and the ground, who's going to be in charge of that operation is also critical. But I think uh, there's a danger, quite honestly, if we look at it as a separate layer. All of our air traffic is going to have to flow between each layer, and it has to happen seamlessly. Um, for instance, a emergency rescue helicopter is going to be flying below 500 feet, especially when it comes into land. So how are you going to ensure that that uh, airspace is cleared at any point in time to enable uh, that landing to occur, while at the same time not significantly disrupting the commerce that will, will occur because of the drone mm -hmm. Uh, uh, commerce. <laughs> and, and commerce. As I understand yeah. it, we're still awaiting, uh, you know, broader permission from the FAA to do, say, drone flights over people beyond line of sight operations. Where do we stand with that? So the uh, FAA, the DOT, has their uh, pilot program that they are wor uh, that they authorize working with ten sites um, that will allow uh, some limited uh, operations over people. Uh, there are a number of factors, I think, that are going to long-term affect um, how this, this economy is going to work. Uh, number one is the obvious one is we have to figure out how you can allow these, air, these vehicles, uh, which are safe and reliable, to operate over people. But then there are other issues such as homeland defense that we need to talk about. There are aspects of privacy that are going to have to get, be adjudicated. The issue here is not really from the technology standpoint. We have a lot of very smart people in the industry who can... Uh, understand how to do things reliably and safely. Um, but there, as we found uh, there over time that there's a lot of extraneous uh, items that, that crop up that sometimes slow down how quickly we can do things. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I've experienced in covering technology is that technology is now in virtually everything. And one big trend in technology is uh, the use of, of AI and machine learning and, uh, and automation. So I'm kind of curious, maybe, um, John, you can tell us a little bit about how machine learning and AI is going to be affecting the future of aviation moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So at least within the Defense Department where I see uh, this applying is that uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, new developments and, and systems that are going to enable these the, the systems that are operating today to work more efficiently and effectively in concert with the human. Um, with the more connected environment that we're, we're working in and, and operating in today, you find that there's a lot more data for the humans that interact with these systems to consume to the point that it becomes overwhelming with how much data they have to absorb to try to make a decision. And so this, you know, the, the, the opportunity with the uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning capabilities is to take that data and be able to sort through massive volumes of data and call out what's important and what's valuable for a human to make a decision with at that instant in time so that the best decision is made and, and the safest decision is made uh, for the systems that are there. That, that, that plays a, a very fundamental role in how I believe that um, the artificial intelligence capabilities will be applied. And it's really going to take the things that, uh, you know, one of the, the axioms that we talk about internally is that um, with autonomy, we want, our, we want the operators of our systems to be tacticians. We want them to be thinking above um, the fight to make sure that they're doing the right thing at the right time every time. And by having that information available, um, by augmenting them with this artificial intelligence capability, we're going to enable them to make sure that they're making the right decisions every time. 
Um, and, and, and as I said, there's just so much data out there right now for a pilot or a, uh, an operator to consume that it makes it very difficult for us to ensure that they're making those right decisions every mm -hmm. time. Well, one of the things that um, you know, Silicon Valley has obviously struggled with very publicly is uh, you know, the, the use of flawed algorithms or algorithms that misidentify what's right. valuable, what's not, what's a you know, valid signal, what's not. Um, how are you grappling with that problem? So right now, there's a couple of different angles that we're looking at. So the first one is, is that, uh, so the training of those algorithms is extraordinarily important. And um, within our Lockheed Martin organization at a uh, corporate level, we've actually established a, uh, what we call a, a verification and validation uh, investment activity where we're looking at how we can go do that verification and validation to um, deterministically identify that the algorithms are doing exactly what they're supposed to do each and every time. And that is a very difficult problem, which is why it's a major investment area for us at this time. Mm -hmm. Um, stepping back a little bit, uh, you know, one big topic in Washington has been uh, the president's trade agenda and, um, you know, the role of tariffs, uh, you know, across the, the economy. Uh, I'm kind of curious how those policies have affected your industry, if at all. So from uh, AIA's perspective, um, you know, the aviation industry, the aerospace manufacturers uh, succeed despite tariffs not because of tariffs uh, that exist. So we are obviously, we're, we're all for free trade, but at the same time, we're, we're closely monitoring and communicating with our members about the impacts of uh, the, any potential tariffs uh, on, uh, on our global uh, supply chain, as well as for impacts in terms of export of our, our products long-term. Have, have, you, uh, have your members noticed um, you know, changes in, in costs uh, that they are facing as a result of these policies? I'm, you know, quite honestly, I'm not enough in the uh, weeds on that, and I particularly should be able to comment. Fair enough. Um, so, uh, John, I wonder, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about um, communications uh, technology, but I want to expand on that. You know, right now, uh, we're seeing an explosion of consumption, um, you know, among people on the ground of streaming media and, um, and other data intensive applications. Uh, but when I get on a plane, that's still not really widely available to me. So um, what's your expectation for, uh, for those types of features uh, in in-flight connectivity? Well, fortunately, that era is now arriving. And we're in the middle of rolling out our new generation of much higher speed connectivity. It's available on about 900 aircraft today, and there's about another 1,000 aircraft that will be installed in that over the next few years. And it very much has changes the paradigm from being a slow browsing experience to one that feels much more ground-like. Uh, we have about almost 500 aircraft with Delta today that are equipped with this technology, and passengers are happily streaming from Hulu or Amazon Prime or any of those other video services and enjoying Game of Thrones or even more recently, um, streaming TV. So we're, we're very much getting to that point now where connectivity has emerged out of the slow and expensive era into one where it's much more affordable and much more like the experience we have on the ground today. Mm -hmm. We just recently, yesterday, had a hearing in the Senate on um, tech companies and their privacy practices, telecom companies and their privacy practices as they become much more like tech companies. Um, so I'm just wondering if you would kind of weigh in on that for us. Uh, you know, one big question that came out of that hearing was, you know, would you support a comprehensive federal privacy law um, covering, you know, all 50 states? Sure. We've always taken passenger information privacy very, very seriously. 
Uh, we treat it in the way that any other ISP would in terms of uh, maintaining sort of integrity around data, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's PCI compliance or any of those other uh, policies associated with passenger privacy. So uh, we're very aware of the fact that uh, people want privacy in terms of their data today, and we're very supportive of that. Should consumers uh, have a choice to opt into whether their data is shared with the provider, or uh, do you prefer more of an opt-out uh, opt approach? I think the opt-in is the right way to, to do it. I mean, if we look overseas, that's generally the policy that people adopt, and uh, that's the, the way we feel about it. Great. Um, one issue that was brought up in earlier panels was uh, you know, the environment, and, and uh, you know, so I'd like to ask a little bit about climate change beyond um, the use of renewable fuels. Are there technologies or materials that are on the horizon that could uh, you know, help the aviation industry address that challenge? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take a swing at it. So um, one of the activities that uh, we've also similarly explored with, uh, with NASA is the opportunity to have much more efficient uh, flight for cargo type vehicles. And so uh, um, you may have seen uh, last year a uh, pretty significant discussion around the idea of a hybrid wing body. And uh, you get a, a significantly more lift out of a, um, a hybrid wing body construct than you do out of the uh, traditional um, you know, tube and wing mm -hmm. um, that, that you know, promulgates most of the uh, uh, commercial aviation today. And so with that hybrid wing body, you would be able to have a, uh, a much more efficient platform that saves significant amounts of fuel um, while ha hauling large amounts of cargo around. And that cargo at one point may actually transcend into uh, passenger jets as uh, that technology continues to mature. The, the challenge, there's, a, there's also a barrier to entry with some of that with the premise that uh, you know, there's a lot of airports around the world that have been uh, uh, facilitized, centered around how airplanes operate today. And so you think about that change in an aircraft, the cost um, or the benefit associated with those fuel savings are gonna have to offset significant amount of a facility cost as well. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I would also add that, you know, there's, there's a lot of work going on globally. Uh, recently, we had the CO2 carbon emissions uh, changes going into effect. Uh, each generation of commercial aircraft has, has been better than the generation before. And, and we as an industry are gonna to continue to focus on, on doing those, those types of things. And we have programs with the FAA looking for those opportunities using the CLEAN program and others to, to continue to improve. Are there specifics that you can talk about? Um, well, you know, we had the CO2, but the next ones, you know, actually globally, uh, non-volatile particular matter, MVPMs, are, are another issue that are, is now uh, rising up. Uh, we work closely also with the Europeans, monitoring what the Europeans are up to in terms of looking at, you know, how, how many, what the emissions of these aircraft, are, what it looks like. And then there were programs like actually next gen, where, you know, the more efficient that the flight the flight path is the less fuel that you're actually going to burn. So these are all things that contribute to make the whole better. Mm -hmm. um, John, you know, there have been a number of technologies that were developed for military applications that then became very influential in the civilian space. Um, what kind of uh, technologies can we expect you know, that to happen with uh, uh, moving forward in the next five to 10 years, do you think? Wow, that's, uh, there, there, there's so much. So. You know, right now, I think I'll, the, the, the one that's probably most prominent, I think that I'd, I'd go back to uh, the artificial intelligence and machine learning mm -hmm. um, activities that are there. Obviously, the commercial industry is investing ex extraordinary amounts of money in that. Uh, I, I believe I read a statistic recently that uh, over 80% of the S&P 500 companies are now calling out, you know, some element of uh, AI in, as part of their strategy going forward. So it's a, it's a huge movement. But 
the opportunity with the de defense industry is going to be uh, centered on that idea that uh, we re we're really going to have to have a lot more rigor in what we put forth, uh, the commercial industry, and a lot of what uh, the applications that will apply there. Um, they're going to be able to move a little faster in putting uh, capabilities to market, but uh, the rigor that we're going to have to put into it, I think that rigor will flow into uh, the commercial market and make those types of applications much more beneficial for the consumer. Great. Um, well, I wanted to, uh, to uh, wrap up here so that everyone can sort of get to the main event of the day, which uh, is the Kavanaugh hearings. Um, so uh, thank you to, uh, to our guests, and uh, hope to see you again here soon back at uh, Washington Post Live. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.